Good morning, church family. My name is Rob, and I'm a pastor here. I really appreciate Steve getting a shout out to our setup volunteers this morning, those that help put everything on stage. I will highlight, maybe you're new here and you're seeing these over here and you're like, wow, this is one of those churches that like has props for you know their sermon series and everything. We are not that cool, all right? We are Presbyterians. Um, <laughs> But uh, I will have you know that, uh, you know, it's that time of year, so it's the, the Woodson musical. Last year it was SpongeBob SquarePants and there was a big Wheel of Doom over there. Uh, this year it is Little Shop of Horrors. We have some uh, Woodson theater techs that help us every Sunday that we're in here. I know that they would love it if you came out and supported them and Woodson Theater over the next couple of weeks. Check out the play, I'm sure it is awesome. All right, from theater to books. The recent Audible book that I have been listening to, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. If you are not familiar with it, it is the story of a young man named Pip, all right? Pip, his parents died when he was young, grew up, raised by his sister. His life is on a rather ordinary trajectory. Looks like he's going to be a blacksmith because that's what his sister's husband is. And then all of a sudden... He comes into some great expectations. Like all of the sudden, little Pip is plucked out of his very ordinary life and he has a radical transition. His station in life is completely changed. He enters into wealth and status. Things could not be more different for Pip once he moves into his great expectations. But Pip has this challenge. Pip doesn't know exactly who's done this for him. And he doesn't know why it's been done. He doesn't know why his life has been changed in this kind of way. All he knows is now there are some great expectations for his life. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, we have something very much in common with Pip and then something different. We have something very in common with Pip and the fact that um, our lives were radically changed. Something happened in our life where we were plucked out of darkness and we were brought into light. Our station in life and in eternity was radically changed all of a sudden, not because of anything we did, because of something someone else did. And, and here's where we're different than Pip. Pip doesn't know why all this is happening. I should say, at least at the point of the story I am right now, Pip doesn't know why all this is happening, all right? And if you know, don't tell me, all right? I'm 12 hours deep into this 18-hour book, all right? So, but unlike Pip, our great expectations have been made clear from day one. And we read about them here in Matthew chapter 5. And I'll say this, if you're here this morning and you're still exploring Christianity, you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ, you still have this question when it comes to life is what, what is expected of me, right? Like how can I make a difference with my life? So I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at these few verses here in Matthew chapter five. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful father, we know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, it stands forever. So we pray that by your spirit, you would speak through your word and that you would help us to see Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. 
Amen. We are pressing on uh, in our glorify and enjoy series. In this series, what we're doing is we're walking, what we're doing is walking through our mission statement. All right, we exist to glorify and enjoy God by making disciples who make a difference through grace-filled worship, community, and mission. Just so you know, by the end of the series, I'm going to make all of you guys say it with me. All right? Last week, we looked at the kingdom plan, God's kingdom plan to make disciples. That's the phrase that we looked at. This week, we're going to look at the phrase, make a difference. We want to make disciples that make a difference. As we're doing every Sunday, we're looking at the, the, the scripture that undergirds why those phrases are in there. Make a difference. Did we just put that phrase in there? Because we're in the D.C. area and everybody moves to the D.C. area because they want to make a difference. That might have crossed our mind, all right? But again, we don't put these phrases in here because they sound good to us or creative to us or marketable to us. We put these phrases in here because Jesus makes it very clear that he wants his disciples to make a difference. And these three verses, they make it clear that, that who you are determines what you do. And these three, three verses, Jesus is speaking to our identity and to our expectations. So that's what we're going to let guide the way this morning. We're going to look at identity and expectations. First, look at the first words of our passage. Look there in verse 13. He's saying, you, you are the salt of the earth. Listen to how many times that word you comes up in the passage. You are the salt of the earth. You are the, the light of the world. Let your light shine so that when others see your good works, they will glorify your father in heaven. Who's Jesus talking to, right? Because that makes a big difference on how we understand these verses. Matthew chapter five, if you look at the beginning of it, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has gathered his disciples. It says that his disciples were there and he sat down and he started teaching them. One thing we should be clear on, from the standpoint of the world, um, these are incredibly unremarkable people. Very simple and common people sitting in front of Jesus. All right, these are not influencers. I don't know what influencers you follow. These would not be them. These are very simple, ordinary people. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world? Like, really? It's, it's spring, right? It's graduation seasons. I know some of you guys got graduations coming up, big stuff. Um, you are the light of the world? Like, that sounds like it should be reserved for Ivy League graduations. You are the light of the world. Or maybe if you're in a boardroom with, you know, kind of market consultancy, maybe you're at McKinsey or Booz Allen, high-powered corporate consultancy, maybe you go to them and you say, you are the light of the world. I don't know if you look at these ordinary, simple people and say, you are the light of the world, but Jesus does. You know why? Because they are his disciples. It's clear from here that all you need to do to be the light of the world is to be a follower of Jesus. So students, middle school students, high school students, you can be the light of the world because Jesus isn't just talking to his grown-up disciples. He's talking to any follower of Christ. And retirement, maybe you're here and you're like in that retirement season. Retirement uh, is not getting, uh, it's not a get out of being salt and light free card. You can use your retirement to be salt, to be light. 
Jesus is speaking to every disciple to say that you are the light of the world. And it's helpful to know that it's always been this way, right? As long as God has been calling people to himself, he's been calling them for a purpose. From the word go in the garden, Adam and Eve, I've called you for a purpose. Be fruitful and multiply, rule and subdue. Some of you might know the language of creation mandate, cultural mandate. God calls his people for a purpose. Abraham, people for a purpose. Be a blessing to the nations. Some of you guys are going to the Daniel class before the service, right? Rescues Daniel for a purpose. That's how God works. God is calling people into his family and then he's sending them out in the family business. That's how God does it. And guess what? To do this, you don't need to be ordained. To do this, you don't need a title or an office or a position. You can be salt and light without any of these things. Um, Presbyterian friends, I checked. You don't even need committee approval to be salt and light. I look, BCO, all right? You can just go and be salt and light. That's what disciples do. He doesn't say you shall be salt and light. He doesn't say you will be salt and light. He says you are salt and light. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's your identity. That's my identity if we are followers of Christ. So if that's our identity, what does it mean? What's expected of us? What's expected when we're salt and light? What does that even mean? Let's have some salt and light chat, all right? Because one of our challenges here is that when um, in the ancient Near East, they heard words like salt and light, something very different came up in their mind than when we hear it now in 2023, all right? Like they had an altogether different relationship with salt and with light. Let's start with salt, all right? When you and I think of salt, most probably really all that comes up in our minds is salt. It's flavor. That's what makes my waffle fries taste glorious, right? And that's what makes my vegetables taste less bad, right? Like that, we, we think salt, we think flavor, all right? Not so in the ancient Near East, right? Yes, they would have thought flavor. They would have thought it makes it taste better, but they would also think salt, salt preserves. Salt, salt halts the decay. Because when Jesus is talking about salt and light, he's talking about halting and helping. He's talking about halting, stopping the decay and helping, helping those who are in darkness. So salt in the ancient Near East, right, okay, no sub-zeros, no refrigerators. They need, to, they need to do something else, right? Like if I think back to my neck of the woods, we have this scrum diddly dish called country ham, all right? Because from where I'm from, we didn't have ice boxes and we didn't have refrigerators, so we put so much salt in ham that it would preserve it. You could just leave it out. It halted the decay. Jesus says, you're going to be salt. You're going to halt the decay and the darkness. Now let's think about light, all right? Kids, look around the room in here. Adults, look around the room in here. How many exterior windows do you see? All right, none. 
ancient Near East, uh, you know, first century, first century, the only way we have light in this room is if we make a fire or if, you know, some light comes through those doors right there. But it's 2023. So we have, we have stage lights, we have house lights, we have all kinds of lights in here. See our relationship, we just take light for granted. Because even let's imagine power goes down, like one of those thunderstorms from this morning comes back. Power goes down, backup lights go down as well. It's completely dark in here. But you know what's going to happen in a matter of seconds? All the teenagers are going to pull out their cell phones and turn their lights on. And then about two or three minutes later, the older ones of us are going to pull our cell phones out and figure out how to turn our lights on. And like we... Anytime, day or night, we are never more than an arm's length away from light. Not so in the ancient world. In the ancient world, darkness meant you get lost. In the ancient world, darkness meant you were vulnerable to attack from animals or other humans. The darkness of the ancient world meant you often lived in fear and life was dangerous. So the expectations Jesus is saying, salt and light, halt and help. Halt the decay that's going on around you and help those who are in the darkness. That's what Jesus is getting after when he's talking about salt and light. And can we say this too? Um, Darkness and decay have been ever present in our world. Darkness, and I really don't need to, to, to prove this point, but I'm a pastor, so I will. Um, I mean, just look at our bodies. Think about decay. Just look at our relationships and the brokenness. Think about darkness and decay. Things fall apart. Things fall apart is a, uh, it's a, it's a line from a poem uh, by William Butler Yeats, Things Fall Apart. He wrote it in a poem called The Second Coming, and he was writing about Europe after World War I, and he said, things fall apart, darkness and decay. Things fall apart, uh, Chinua Achebe, a Nigerian, read that line in the poem, right? And so he takes that line and makes it the title of his novel about post-colonial Nigeria, because he had seen that things fall apart. So you say, okay, well, that's uh, post-World War I Europe. That's post-colonial uh, Africa. But Rob, we're, we're here in Africa. Uh, we're here, not, we're, in Af we're not in Africa, just so you know. We're here in Fairfax. Do things fall apart in Fairfax? Because when we look out there, I mean, everyone's got well-manicured lawns, present speaker excluded. Everyone out there, everyone out there seems to have well-manicured lives. We're all, we're all put together. Do things really fall apart in Fairfax? What you discover is that there are many of us here that just have enough resources to go buy some gold spray paint and just kind of spray over all the things that fall apart in our life, right? Like nothing to see here. But if we look closely out those doors out there and in this room in here, there's often a quiet panic beneath the poise that we see. 
Um, there, there's often an anxiety, a crippling anxiety that runs through all of our affluence. Um, if we look in our classrooms, if we look in our coworkers, if we just know our fellow church members, we know that addiction and abuse and abandonment and cancer and depression, all of that darkness and decay is all around us. Things fall apart. And Jesus says, be salt and light. Halt the decay and help those who are in the darkness. Things fall apart in Fairfax for sure. And I love how Jesus says, hey, and by the way, here's how you can mess this up. <laughs> Jesus knows we need a little help with that. He said, here's some ways you can mess up this whole salt and light stuff. N number one way to mess it up is to lose your saltiness. Right? Number one way to mess up, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus says, don't lose your distinctiveness. Don't lose what makes you, you in Christ, your identity in me. Don't lose that. Because what's, what's even the point if you do that? Um, this is the mistake of compromise, or um, accommodation. It's where instead of working to heart, uh, halt and help, you just work to fit in. So, so what does this look like? Um, making this mistake in the world of politics, uh, losing your saltiness, looks like you're just gonna go about this political business, whether you, uh, you work in it or you volunteer in it or you're just involved. Um, losing your saltiness in politics looks like well, I'm just going to speak about others and speak to others the way the world does, right? Losing your saltiness in politics ends up making uh, you look more like Machiavelli than Jesus, right? And let's just be clear. Jesus is never pleased when people try to uh, achieve his ends through Machiavellian means, Right, so we don't lose our, please be involved in politics, but don't lose your saltiness. What does it look like to lose your saltiness when, when you live in a culture and a world that is completely confused, when darkness and decay has uh, become the word of the day when it comes to gender and sexuality? What does it look like to lose our saltiness? It looks like just going along with it, endorsing it instead of in compassion and care saying, no, God has a better design and a better way for flourishing. We don't lose our saltiness. We don't lose our distinctiveness. Maybe losing your saltiness or definitely losing your saltiness looks like living for idols of comfort and possessions and status and achievement instead of being about the business of halting and helping decay and darkness. That's what losing saltiness looks like. That's the number one way you can mess it up. Number two way, verse 15, Jesus says, don't hide your light. So, so if one way to mess it up is um, compromise. The other way to mess it up is becoming closed off, circling the wagons, um, becoming a Christian bubble. 
right? If you want to take the approach that, well, what I'm going to do is quarantine myself from messy people in messy situations, that's the wrong approach. Jesus says, no, be in the world, but not of the world. Enter into, if you are going to be salt and light, light is meant to be seen. It's meant to go into the darkness. And so that necessarily means you don't quarantine yourself off. He gives the right approach here in verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Hey, friends, I'm still looking for the place in the New Testament where Jesus says, or where maybe Paul says, hey, the main point, like the key idea, is that you invite people to spend one hour with you on Sundays at the synagogue and hear a great speaker and our great band. I haven't found that place in the New Testament yet. Yes, please invite your friends to church. But if you want to know what turned the ancient world upside down, if you wanted to know what was catalytic for growth in the face of opposition, political, religious, cultural, if you want to know why that happened in the early church, it's because they lived this out. Very ordinary and unremarkable Christians were letting their light shine before others so that they could see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven. And I believe the same will happen today. I believe the same can happen today if we commit to living that way. I think we're on the right track with the Heart of Christ Committee. As plain loads of refugees land in our community, we're salt and light as we seek to love them and welcome them. All right, Project Belong, I heard the radio this morning, 700 kids in foster care in our state. Look at every chair in here and imagine, you don't have to imagine, there is a kid for every chair in here that does not have a forever home. Imagine if Christians are committed to being salt and light. That's what it looks like, being salt and light. If we're... Um, if we're in politics and we're in the military, I believe growth, I believe we'll be disciples that make a difference when we run up against these scenarios where um, if you have to choose between a victory in, uh, for your candidate, a victory for your career, or following Jesus, you're willing to let your candidate or your career take an L to follow your king. Because you know what? You know that he wins in the end. That's what it means to be salt and light. <laughs> um, we'll be those that make a difference if uh, ordinary students and ordinary teachers go into their classrooms and are salt and light because there's darkness and decay in those classrooms. And I don't care if it's public school or private school or Christian school or homeschool. If you go to a school that has humans in it, there's going to be some darkness and decay and you can be salt and light. I was uh, talking to one of our teachers this morning. I love it. Uh, she said that uh, she spent yesterday going up to Frederick, Maryland because a couple of her students were in a Rubik's Cube competition, right? Like solving Rubik's Cubes in like seven seconds. But this is a teacher, guess what? It's not in her job description 
She doesn't get paid extra, but because she wants to be salt and light, because she wants these students and their parents and their families to know there's something distinctive, there's something different about her, she drives to Frederick, Maryland on her day off to go and support them. Salt and light, they will see our difference. Let me get really granular here, all right? I'm gonna give you one tool for being salt and light. Here's your tool for this week and for the rest of your life to be salt and light. And it's called, listen, this is a tool, whether you're a single person, newly married, whether you're worn out by young kids at home, everyone can use this tool. You know what it's called? It's called a table. It's called a table. You can invite people in your life, people at your school, people in your neighborhood, people at your work. You can invite them to join you at the table. And I'm not talking about entertaining here, okay? People don't need to be entertained. People need to be seen and they need to be shown the light of Christ. And everybody gets hungry. Everybody needs food. And so you can use a table to invite someone to see the light and love of Christ. That's what you can do to be salt and light this week and every week of your life. And we will do this, friends. We will only do this when we realize that, um, that when we talk about darkness and decay, we're not just talking about that out there, but we're talking about something that's in here too. Because we're in Matthew 5 this morning. But if you just look at Matthew chapter 4, Matthew quotes this, uh, uh, some verses from Isaiah chapter 9, where Isaiah is promising, and he's saying, listen, there are those who are sitting in darkness, and behold, a great light shone upon them. See, we'll, we'll go into the darkness and decay when we realize that the light of Christ, when we realize Christ came into the world and came into our lives, that in fact, we're significantly responsible for the darkness and decay out there and in here. And when we realize that Jesus has come to rescue us from that, that he gave his life to rescue us from that, that he entered into the darkness and the decay, the darkness of the tomb for us, when we realize that, that will move us to go into the darkness and decay out there and to bring his light. To be disciples that make a difference to be salt and light when we understand what Christ has done for us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray you would make us here in Fairfax, our friends in McLean and Reston and in your church here throughout the D.C. area and among the nations, that we would be salt and light, that we would bring a halt to the decay, and we would help those who are in darkness. We thank you that Christ has done this for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.